Hey everybody. How's it going? So I heard a joke the other day and it was pretty funny. Are you ready to hear it? Okay, here it goes. So an apple, a banana, and a strawberry all walk into a bar. <laughs> the bartender looks at them and says, what is this? Some kind of a joke? Ha ha, get it? Fruits walking into a bar. What kind of news do you have? It must be pretty exciting. Do I have to guess? As a matter of fact, you do. I just got offered a job as an executive chef in a five-star restaurant. <laughs> Can you believe it? I never even cooked before. But it looks like I'm going to have to learn fast if I want to take the job. What do you think? Wow. That's amazing. I'm sure you're going to be great at it. Going from comedian to executive chef is quite the jump. You're telling me. I'm a little nervous, but also really excited. <laughs>So, did you hear about the new coffee shop in town? I heard it's really good, but really small. I can't believe they opened one so close to our place. What kind of coffee do they serve? From what I heard, it's a mix of regular and decaf. A mix? That's pretty daring. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Maybe it'll become the trendiest spot in town. I wouldn't count on it, but it's definitely worth checking out. Hey, did you hear the news? We're gonna be everywhere this week. Really? Everywhere? How's that possible? <laughs> I heard they've got a video series coming out that's gonna show us performing in different places around town. <laughs> it's gonna be a riot. I'm kind of nervous. I mean, what if it doesn't turn out the way we expect? <laughs> nervous? There's nothing to be nervous about. We're all experienced comedians, and I'm sure it'll be great. Well, I guess we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> In the meantime, who wants to go grab lunch? Sure, sounds great. And good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst, and I will be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation in Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. And this obviously is a little different of an intro uh, to the show than we usually hear, and that's because tonight is a kind of an unusual topic. We're going to be talking about our AI-generated future. And I wanted to start with a good example of what is the future that we are headed into, uh, not merely by talking about it. I wanted to play you some, some direct footage of this thing called Nothing Forever. I'll admit it's a pretty interesting project, but it's... Um, it's important for us to understand the outcomes that this is pointing towards. Here's what Nothing Forever is. Uh, you, you may have read about this, but if you, if you didn't hear anything about this, this is a kind of Seinfeld-ish uh, AI project in which the uh, entire episode, if you can call it that, two to three minutes long, each one, is generated the creators claim generated completely by AI algorithms and then voiced by these AI voices. Um, it's called Nothing Forever because if, if you know Seinfeld, uh, that was famously a show about nothing. And this uh, Nothing Forever stream, which, which plays on Twitch, this is the Amazon-owned video streaming service called Twitch, 
this Nothing Forever stream goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And presumably, if, if what the creators claim is correct, it never repeats an episode because it's, it's all AI generated. Of course, they're working off of different templates that the creators set up. It's working within uh, boundaries that were set up by human beings. But within those boundaries, the, the episodes uh, take shape based on whatever the algorithm comes up with. And so we, we just heard, I think we just heard two of the episodes. And I have, uh, I, I recorded about an hour of Nothing Forever. And so at different points in the episode, we can just, we can check in with our uh, AI-generated Seinfeld characters to see how they're doing. I know, I don't even like carrying it around with me. Well, let's hope you can get it back. Okay, so y you can hear that they're, they're just... Uh, gabbing away in the background and we can go back to nothing forever at different points in the show to see how it is. But I think you, I think you get a pretty good idea from the first two episodes. Uh, this is not that interesting to listen to. There's also graphics. Um, and I have put three of the screenshots on the playlist. If you go to WFMU.org, click playlist and comments. Or if you're listening in the future, Go to tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H, tonic.fm, and find the February 6, 2023 show and click the playlist link and you'll see uh, three, and I think later in the show I have one more screenshot. So for right now, three screenshots from Nothing Forever. And there's also a link on the playlist. You can watch Nothing Forever yourself. It's the, as long as that Twitch stream is, is running, you can click in and you can watch as many of those uh, two to three minute Nothing Forever episodes as you want. As I say, I think it's kind of an interesting project. They, the creators, uh, they were interviewed by Kotaku. Uh, co-creator Skylar Hartle said he and his co-creator Brian Habersberger have been working on this as a passion project part-time for the past four years with a team of three to seven people. Um, and they also mentioned that they, they used the Microsoft-owned uh, AI platform, Azure Cognitive Services, for voice generation. And they're thinking if this works, maybe they can, quote, spin up new shows or formats. Okay. Well, I think Seinfeld is an interesting first choice because it's a, it's, it's a very basic setup. Um, all of the mini episodes take place in Jerry's apartment. Uh, the character is not named Jerry, of course. They don't they don't um, tread on any copyright uh, issues with with nothing forever. But you can tell it's it's supposed to be Jerry's apartment. There's a George character and there's an Elaine character, and the three of them just say those nonsensical things over and over again throughout the episodes. So it's a simple enough setup uh, that with three characters. And, um, and, and one venue that you could make that work. We could think about what, what would some of the other spinoffs be? What would be, what would be a good uh, AI-generated sitcom that they could do next that would be uh, similarly simple? But the, the point tonight is not simply to look at what uh, Nothing Forever is doing now, but to think what is happening when AI generates more shows at a, a higher degree of precision in, let's say, five years or 10 years. Um, and this is a pattern we're gonna see in this show that's gonna come up in different media formats that the end goal appears to be that the companies that own, that, that are gonna own the AI engines that are, that are spinning out these TV shows and uh, music albums and everything else, they are going to want to charge us to uh, continue to uh, log into these streams, whether they are video or music streams, while paying artists nothing, because there will be no human artists involved. There may be a guy or a gal uh, who's managing the algorithm that's setting up the boundaries and maybe doing some light content checking here and there uh, with, with some test cases. But other than that, there's gonna be no human talent involved. And for the owners of these companies, what an interesting situation that'll be. Think of the, the boost to the margins that they'll get when they no longer have to pay uh, writers. They don't, they don't have to pay a writer's room. They don't have to pay actors. They don't have to pay the camera crew or editors. They don't have to pay any of the humans involved if they can just 
deliver something that's barely good enough to hold people's attention. Uh, and so it could be in a few years, we look back and we say, remember when they first came out with that Twitch string stream called Nothing Forever, that Seinfeld thing that was, that was going 24 seven. Uh, wow, it's gotten a lot better by now. Some of the jokes are actually somewhat interesting. And yet, and yet it won't be anything like a fully human generated uh, piece of TV sitcom humor as we got used to it uh, in, the, in the Seinfeld years. Why don't we, why don't we take a moment and um, talk about where AI is and who the players are, and then I'll tell you, and then I'll, I want to move on to some other types of, of media. Uh, but it's, it's important to know who the players are because when I talk about the companies that are interested in boosting their margins by investing in AI, they're all the same companies that I talk about week to week here on Tectonic. There's only a few companies that are really in the driver's seat for this AI-generated future. Uh, the first one that we want to talk about is uh, Microsoft. Uh, as I said, that the, the Nothing Forever uh, guys used a, a, a Microsoft AI platform to put together the uh, Nothing Forever show. And that's because it, it's not that surprising because there are not that many companies that have AI platforms out there with which you could do something like that. Microsoft is one of the big ones. The other thing that Microsoft just invested in, many of you already know, is ChatGPT. This is the uh, AI generating uh, text chatbot that everyone is talking about and quoting and sending around little snippets of recently. Uh, ChatGPT is owned by a company called OpenAI, which was actually co-founded by Elon Musk years ago. Um, and I have covered OpenAI on a past show uh, when Jamie Brew came on to talk, uh, excuse me, Ryan Walsh came on to talk about the OpenAI jukebox a couple of years ago. There's a link to that uh, episode on the playlist. OpenAI has gone beyond their OpenAI jukebox, and now they have this thing called ChatGPT. Well, Microsoft, um, I think, already had a very, very small stake in OpenAI, but recently, in the last couple of weeks, they announced that Microsoft intends to put in $10 billion into OpenAI, $10 billion, with the probable intent to use ChatGPT somehow in the Bing search engine. <laughs> because, you know, everyone is just about to switch over to Bing uh, if they just had one more little reason to switch to Bing. You know that everyone en masse would go over to Bing, right? Uh, so anyway, that's Microsoft's fantasy, is that if they can integrate some ChatGPT uh, back and forth chat client in the Bing search engine, maybe people will start to defect from Google and go over to, uh, go over to Bing. I'm not sure how realistic that is, but Microsoft has made it very clear that that's where their interest is. It's interesting that Microsoft and the other companies that I'm going to be talking about from big tech who are making big investments in AI just all synchronized on their massive layoffs. All of them seem to have laid off 10,000, 12,000 people all in the same two-week period or so. It was, like they, it was like the CEOs called each other up and said, is it time? It's a t yeah, it's time, it's time, let's all do it together. And then no one will, no one will get called out with one big bad headline. Let's all, uh, let's all uh, not that it's collusion, never, never, I'm shocked, uh, but let's go ahead and do all the layoffs all at once. And so tens of thousands of uh, tech employees, big tech employees were all laid off uh, in, the, in the last few weeks in this, as I say, what appeared to be a synchronized uh, execution of this plan by the big tech companies, and at the same time, we see these massive investments in AI. So Microsoft lays off, I don't have the number in front of me, it was 10, 12,000 people, something like that, at the same moment that they were uh, announcing that they were putting $10 billion into ChatGPT. Interesting. Interesting. And if you think, well, maybe it's just a coincidence. You know, AI has been percolating for a while, and this is the moment when AI finally is, is ready for prime time. And look, uh, now, that, now that we're kind of sort of over the pandemic, the, uh, the tech companies have to lay off some people because uh, they're not getting as much engagement as they were during the pandemic. That's a very charitable way to look at the situation, if that's your conclusion. I want you to think about this. 
that, as I said, the, the goal, the, the, the real benefit to these, to these uh, corporate owners, the CEOs, the VCs, the major investors, the real benefit is that they are able to create some kind of AI-generated media that's probably not very good. But if it's good enough, then they can charge against that. They can charge subscriptions against the, that media stream and they can lay off all the humans at the same time that would have been involved in that. And so the, the, the coincidence of the massive layoffs and the massive investment in AI, they're two sides of the same coin. The big tech companies want to cut down on human intervention while they rely more and more on automated solutions to create the junk that they want to flood our system with and then charge uh, subscriptions for us to uh, experience the wonderfulness that are things like the writing on Nothing Forever. Nothing against these guys who put together this interesting project, but as a symbol of the media future that we're headed into, this is kind of grim. Let's hear what's happening. Uh, let's hear what's happening on Nothing Forever with our three heroes, shall we? My hat there and never got it back. That's terrible. What do you expect? It was the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why they call it a lost and found. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, pretty hilarious stuff. Um, that comes from the AI-generated Nothing Forever that is trying to put together a somewhat, some semblance of a Seinfeldian um, <laughs> mini-episode that is more or less completely automated uh, after having been set up within, within some guardrails. So that's Microsoft, okay? Let's move on to Google. Google's another big tech company that, of course, I've, I've, <laughs> I've covered a lot, a lot over these past five years, and Google is uh, equaling Microsoft in its urgent interest in making some AI investments and making uh, just changing its strategy to be fully AI oriented so that for the same reason they can rely more on automation uh, drawing on the processing the analysis of these giant data sets that they have access to due to the surveillance that they conduct on on all of the users who use Google search and Gmail and Google Docs and so on. Um, Google has been working on an alternative to uh, ChatGPT, and just today, just this afternoon, Google came out with a uh, press. Well, it wasn't really a press release. I guess it was a blog post. But you know what passes for a press release at Google? Um, Google announced today the name of their ChatGPT competitor. It is called Bard, B-A-R-D. I don't know how it's going to be different or similar uh, to ChatGPT, but we can expect that Google is going to be pushing this pretty hard and showing that it also is a competitor in this new AI future where it also can flood our entire media ecosystem with automated junk uh, and have some way of either charging us for it or knowing Google uh, instead surveilling every inch of everyone's interaction with it so that they can then package that up into everyone's dossier and sell that off without anyone's uh, knowledge or permission to third-party vendors, advertisers, and others. Go back and listen to my recent episode on what Google does in its ad ecosystem. I think that was two weeks ago. If you really want to know who Google is enabling with their surveillance uh, ad stack, that's who. And this AI uh, barred engine, no doubt, is going to be feeding the same sort of business model. So that's Microsoft and Google. Microsoft has ChatGPT, Google has Bard, and then we come to Facebook Meta. Uh, Facebook also has been using AI for some time in, uh, in helping to rank items in its toxic sludge river, also known as the newsfeed, uh, and also to moderate content to a minimal degree while sending, well, just awful things to underpaid, exploited gig workers to moderate uh, by hand. Um, so Facebook has been relying on AI to juice its margins for, for some time. Uh, in terms of generative AI, of creating automated junk to flood the media ecosystem, of course, 
uh, Zuckerberg has announced that he wants to use this in his metaverse because, you know, just like everyone's ready to move on to Bing as soon as there's one more good reason, everyone, I mean, everyone, and I'm sure it's the same with you listeners, everybody I talk to can't wait to get on Zuckerberg's metaverse if there's just one more cool feature that he might add. And now that he's been talking about generative AI uh, to, uh, to generate junk in his metaverse, I'm sure that is going to drive many more people to strap on their little VR headsets or a giant bulky headsets and, and move into Zuck's digital neighborhood to experience firsthand the digital automated junk that he has for everyone. And then we get to Amazon. Uh, Amazon is not yet doing a lot with uh, AI ge generative uh, content, but of course it is using AI in its uh, Alexa home surveillance devices. They use it for voice recognition and uh, in, in service of the surveillance that Amazon conducts on people through Alexa. And then finally we get to Apple, which so far uh, has not released anything major that, that uh, has to do with AI, but uh, things are happening. What are they working on in there? It's, there's things happening in that spaceship in Cupertino, and we're going to find out probably in the next year or so what Apple's been working on. It's Apple's way to work quietly on something and make a big splashy announcement because they get so much free press from the media, the tech media, that uh, dutifully covers all of their advertisements. So when Apple is ready for some more free advertising, they will uh, contact the tech media who will pull out their pens and notepads and uh, get ready to cover the press release. So for the moment, the main players in generative AI in terms of big tech are Microsoft, Google, and to some extent, Facebook Meta. But we will hear from Amazon and Apple soon enough, I'm sure. So those are the players. Those are the players. Now let me, let me acknowledge that there are many, many smaller companies that are, uh, that are creating generative AI content in different ways, some of whom have gotten a lot of press. Um, if we just think about images, okay, uh, going away from generative text and, uh, and, and, and jokes like we got from Nothing Forever, you've probably heard about Dali uh, or Midjourney or Stable Diffusion. These are three products uh, from AI companies that have gotten a lot of press recently for their uh, generative um, AI-generated images. And um, I can tell you a little bit about those. DALI, and actually it's up to DALI 2, version 2 of DALI, is also an open AI project. Um, this, again, was a company founded by Elon Musk, also Sam Altman, and uh, is now not fully owned by Microsoft, but has heavy investments from Microsoft. So DALI, when you see images generated by DALI, you can just make sure you understand that is generated more or less by Microsoft, the same company behind ChatGPT. And then there's Midjourney. Uh, Midjourney is not owned, as far as I know, by a big tech company. But this, the, the, uh, the notoriety of Midjourney really hit the press when this guy, Jason Allen, uh, generated, auto-generated this image that he then uh, submitted to the Colorado State Fair, the, the, uh, the art fair in Colorado, and won a prize for, um, I think, digital images. He won, he won the prize at the Colorado State Art Fair. And it was this, um, you've probably seen it. There was a lot of coverage of it. There were, it was a, a, a canvas that had a couple of human figures in the foreground, and there was a giant uh, moon or planet somehow looming in the background. It was kind of a, a Victorian sci-fi image. That was the mid-journey image. Uh, and then there's Stable Diffusion, which is a project of a company called Stability.ai, and uh, that has been making a lot of, getting a lot of press as well for the automated images. I can't easily show you these images over the radio, <laughs> but I at least wanted to give a nod to the image generators at uh, OpenAI, Midjourney, and Stability AI, uh, so that when you, when you talk about uh, the AI generators, you can remember 
that there are image generators as well. Then we get to text and music, and this is really the bulk of the show tonight. Uh, we've already played some of the text, really text-generated um, work from, from Nothing Forever. Text and music I want to focus on because I can share that more easily with you. And um, first, a little bit about text generation. The chat GPT is really the forerunner in uh, AI-generated text right now. And there was some news uh, last week. There was a tech news site called CNET that's been around for many years. And uh, it, was, <laughs> it was discovered that CNET was using ChatGPT to, uh, to generate some of its stories, some of its tech news stories, rather than, again, rather than paying for human journalists to write and edit the, uh, the, the, the tech news stories, CNET chose to draw on ChatGPT to start filling in the gaps. And what happened is that they real, people realized pretty quickly that ChatGPT's tech news coverage was full of errors and even plagiarism. And people, it's, I mean, it's sort of obvious. I'm shocked, shocked that a ChatGPT, which draws on a corpus of text that's publicly available, could be found to be plagiarizing. That's basically what ChatGPT is. It's drawing from other people's work and then munging it up and presenting that as, as a new product when it's really not. And then, and then, right after CNET was seen to be making a mistake by working with uh, ChatGPT for automated tech news, the site BuzzFeed said last week it's going to start using ChatGPT to generate a new form of quizzes because, of course, it takes too much money and time and effort, I guess, to hire human editors to sit there and write the top 10 reasons why you should watch the the, the, neck of the the new movie, I, I have no idea. Uh, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the listicles, as they're called, but they're apparently very, very popular, and BuzzFeed is now going to be using OpenAI's ChatGPT to generate the listicles on BuzzFeed. And I think, I think Facebook is in there somewhere that Facebook is going to be paying for that content, which is not surprising. Uh, in tech, often the money flows all the way back into one of the big tech companies at some point. And so from uh, BuzzFeed using a Microsoft product of ChatGPT being paid by Facebook so that they can, again, flood the ecosystem, not with beautifully handmade listicles, top 10 lists by human uh, writers, but instead totally automated by an AI engine that's drawing on the work of other humans over the past uh, however many years that is publicly posted on the internet. So those are, those are some of the developments in text generation. Uh, let's see what's happening with Nothing Forever. Maybe they can lighten the mood for us. They say it's going to be a center of art, culture, and mystery. Mystery? What kind of mystery could a museum possibly have? I don't know but I heard that the director of the museum is a very eccentric guy who doesn't like to show the public which exhibits are on display until they arrive. Who knows what kind of surprises he has in store. <laughs> yep, pretty, pretty funny stuff. There's one other development I wanted to talk about in the text before we move to the music, and that is that uh, ChatGPT <laughs> has been coming out with these pronouncements. Oh, we're... We're, we're really intent on making this helpful for everyone. We're very worried about the possible downsides of ChatGPT, but we're working on solutions, um, positioning themselves as, you know, really, really interested in, in the, the best outcomes of their tool and, and being concerned with people's welfare, what happens when they deploy their tools. So, but you can, count on, you can count on OpenAI. This is their position. Don't fear us. We're your partners. We're here to help. We're going to give you ChatGPT, and we're going to help uh, fix the problems that it creates. With, of course, with with more ChatGPT. So one of the examples is the there's a problem with ChatGPT in that the text generation can be used in contexts when it really shouldn't be. For example, the the, the example that comes up all the time: a middle school or a high school uh, term paper. Someone has to do a book report or, or, a, or a history paper or write an essay on something. Of course, the student is going to be tempted to go to ChatGPT and say, 
Give me um, 300 words on the major themes of the book uh, Red Badge of Courage, something like that. And ChatGPT will dutifully uh, spit out the essay. In fact, you can even say, uh, ChatGPT, uh, give me that essay with some typical errors that a ninth grade student might make. And ChatGPT will then uh, litter the text with a couple of spelling errors, maybe a couple of uh, grammatical errors, so that the student can then uh, put that, uh, submit that as their, as their book report. So when, when journalists have, have brought this up, OpenAI says, don't worry, we're your partners. We're, we're, we're going to help solve this. And they, they, just last week, they, they started um, talking online about how they're going to come out with a tool that helps people identify if ChatGPT has been used to generate a particular piece of text. In other words, if you're a teacher, you can presumably submit all of the essays from the students and go through some, uh, some, some, some magic feature at, at OpenAI, and it'll tell you what percentage chance it is that, that, that any given essay was generated with ChatGPT's help, either fully or in part. And there were some uh, examples that were given. The, and I just find it really ironic that the tool that is flooding the, the zone with, with junk is the one that is also going to be charging for access to the junk detector that allows you to detect whether their junk-making tool actually did make the junk in the junk that you are being subjected to. So the, the tech company, in other words, this is, the, this is a standard big tech ploy in which they say, we are both going to create the tool that causes the problem in the first place, and we're going to make a lot of money off of that. And then when the problems inevitably surface and people start complaining, then we're going to come up with something that we claim is the fix to the original problem, and we're going to charge for that. And so we get them both ways. What a great, and, and listen, when it's all AI generated, there's no humans involved at all, except for a couple of programmers. Think of the margins. We're going to be making money hand over fist both directions. And so, but don't worry, don't worry. OpenAI and Microsoft, they're your buddies. They're going to give you the tools that'll detect all the junk that they themselves generated in the first place. Thanks, guys. What a wonderful business. This is a great business for them. It's just not so good for the rest of us who have to deal with the junk that is flooding the zone in our schools, in our media, in our news, in our entertainment, and soon enough, in our music. And that is the next section that I wanted to come up with. Now, I have, if, by the way, if you're just tuning in and listening to Tectonic on WFMU, my name is Mark Hurst. I'm your host. We're talking about our AI-generated future. And the point I'm trying to make tonight, I'm talking about AI-generated images, AI-generated text, and AI-generated music. The point I'm trying to make tonight is that the reason the tech companies, and, and the, especially the big tech companies, are making billions, multi-billion dollar investments in this AI-generated future. The reason for this is not because they think it is going to increase the quality of our discussions. It's not because they think they're going to help create a, a, a more informed populace. They're not going to help strengthen our communities. They're not going to help teach our kids. None of that, none of that is the idea behind these AI investments. The only reason that these big tech companies are making multi-billion dollar investments in AI at the same moment that they are laying off tens of thousands of human beings who were previously employed and had health care coverage in those companies, the reason they're doing those at the same time is because they want to create an automated future where they generate crap that is just barely tolerable by the citizens of this country. And that we will, if they, can, if they can just juice their margins enough, that we will abide by that and say, I guess that's the only option we have because everybody else has gone out of business. No one seems to have a job anymore. Writers, actors, editors, composers, performers, they're all out of a job. So I guess we will listen to the crap that these companies are spewing out at us while we pay them $10 a month for the subscription and another $10 a month for the tool that tells us when their crap has been spotted somewhere. 
That's why we are headed into an AI-generated future. It has nothing, nothing to do with the interesting features of the technology. It is all about juicing their margins and automating the labor and, 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 and generating auto automatically generating something that while mediocre at best, at very best is mediocre, is just barely good enough for people to keep watching and keep listening, especially if all of the competitors have been squeezed out and disappeared. That's the game. So now you know what the game is. I could end the show right here. That was what I came to say. But I do have some kind of interesting examples to play for you. Now let's get to music, shall we? You've been waiting very patiently. Thank you very much. So music. Um, I have covered AI-generated music a few times on the show. And again, if you go to the playlist at WFMU.org, click playlist and comments, or find it at tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H, tonic.fm, you'll see that uh, on the playlist I've, I've linked to a couple of past shows in which we talked about AI-generated music. And one of those was this, uh, was this interview with Ryan Walsh, um, who's, who's been talked about quite a bit on WFMU recently because he, he wrote a book called Astral Weeks, uh, and he's part of Hallelujah the Hills. There are a lot of uh, Ryan Walsh fans here at WFMU. But anyway, he was on in June of 2020 talking about the OpenAI jukebox. And this is, again, OpenAI that is now uh, largely, I think not, not a majority, but largely owned by Microsoft, uh, run by this guy Sam Altman. And uh, the OpenAI jukebox, again, this is back from 2020, but it had a bunch of uh, examples of what they claimed were fully AI-generated tunes. And um, so, for example, here's one that I enjoyed playing uh, when Ryan came on. And this is uh, in the style of Elvis. Okay, so OpenAI, a, a, a music mashup kind of in the style of Elvis Presley. And this was the state of the art as of 2020. Here, here it is. If we can play it here. Yeah, here it is. Dusty tiny almost starved, but the little hitch tells the heart. When my toes lift, when my hair is sizzling fine. At last, when he woke up with a mind, I'm dusty Okay, you get the idea. Anyway, that's AI Elvis from OpenAI. Uh, and people were freaking out because the lyrics said, at, at, at last I woke up with a mind, as though AI Elvis is now sentient. He's not. None of the AI bots are sentient. They're not going to be. Um, incidentally, the Google, the uh, Google Bard uh, project that I told you about before, that's the chat GPT answer at Google, it's based on Lambda, which was that AI platform that that guy, I forget his name, about a year ago uh, claimed uh, turned sentient, and he had the chat logs to prove it. And then it turned out, of course, that they were highly, heavily edited, and there was a lot of picking and choosing going on. And so, oops, it looks like maybe Lambda is not sentient after all. But I'm sure we're going to go through that ringer again. Oh, this, this new music uh, composer, this AI composer is sentient. It said that it had Elvis singing that he's got a mind now. Anyway, so that was 2020. Uh, there was, and you can go back and listen to that, that whole episode. There was pop in the style of the Beatles, rock in the style of Queen, and then there was synth pop in the style of Erasure. And then there was even um, just a really uncanny valley version of Ella Fitzgerald singing something that OpenAI claimed was jazz-like. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, but uh, that, was, that was the state of the art 20, in 2020. Now, these days we have some different uh, AI-generated music. And now there's a company, I want to play you this. There's a company... Actually, no, let me, let, let's, stick with, let's stick with Google, okay? Because that was OpenAI. Again, not a Google project. That's more Microsoft. But Google has been working on this thing uh, that, is, that claims to do the same thing that the OpenAI jukebox does, which is you can, well, maybe even a little different from OpenAI jukebox, in that you can give it a text prompt. Um, this is called Music LM. It's linked on the playlist. Uh, you can, it says, you can, 
generate high-fidelity music from text descriptions, such as, for example, quote, a calming violin melody backed by a distorted guitar riff. Okay, so the idea is if sometime in the future, if you're sitting at home or maybe you're about to host a, a, a birthday party or beach party and you say, oh, I, I know what I'd like to listen to. And because, you know, there are no more human musicians then, everything is AI generated, this wonderful new future, you can just uh, put in the text prompt into Google's Music LM, uh, generating music from text, and get the automated music spat out right away. And so Google, in its uh, generosity, gave a couple of brief examples. And so here's one. This is from Google's AI uh, uh, music generating project called Music LM. And here's the text prompt. Again, I can't say, I cannot verify that this actually was fully automated based on this text prompt. I'm only reading what Google claims happened. They claim this is the text prompt. Slow tempo, bass and drums led reggae song, sustained electric guitar, high-pitched bongos with ringing tones, vocals are relaxed with a laid-back feel, very expressive. Okay, so it's kind of a long uh, text prompt, and let's listen to how it sounds. Sorry, I made a mistake. That was the R&B hip-hop song. Let's try, let me try again. That was my mistake. This is the slow tempo, what they claim is a reggae song from Music LM. I'm gonna try it again. Okay, so that was Google doing what they claim is a slow tempo reggae song, and there were vocals of a sort, I mean AI vocals, and the reason I wanted to play that right after that Elvis uh, nonsense is because the vocals, you can tell that the, the, the technology has advanced quite a bit in two and a half years. The vocals uh, are much clearer. I guess this, this, this mashed up, extruded musical product, I wouldn't call it music, but whatever that audio thing is that we just heard is a lot clearer than that, than that hazy uh, OpenAI jukebox Elvis thing that we heard. And I think, I don't think it's because Google's so much further ahead than OpenAI. I think it's simply that the, uh, the state of the art has advanced a, a bunch in two and a half years. And did you hear those vocals? Um, here, I'm, uh, let's go to those vocals again. Listen to what the vocalist is actually singing. Can you can you make out what she's singing? No, you can't because it's all nonsense. These are just sounds that sound like what a vocalist might. I mean, if you're an AI. Uh, and, and of course, you're not an AI. AI is not sentient. It's just <laughs> the AI engine, all it's doing is looking at patterns. It's just, just um, carrying out pattern recognition. So they get a little phrase, a little, a little snippet of a voice, and they think, well, I guess that's a vocal. So let me put a bunch of that all together, and that'll be the vocal in this reggae song. That's how all of these AI-generated engines work. They just look at patterns from a corpus of actual human-created work in the past, whether it's music or text or, what, or images or what have you. And then they, they simply run pattern recognition on it to put it together um, and, and create, as I, as I said, this extruded product of music or text or whatever. It, has, it, it, it isn't actually the thing that it claims it is. It, that, it's not actually a slow tempo reggae song because it's not actually music. There aren't actually vocals in that song because no one was singing. And that sound of a voice, that uncanny valley sound of a voice, didn't make any sense because there are no lyrics, because there was no human singing that. There's no meaning to this at all. But I guess, I guess the idea is that 
that, well, let me read you the, the description of the next piece, and this will, I think, uh, bring, it, bring it all together. This is the second um, example from Music LM. R&B hip-hop music piece. There is a male vocal rapping and a female vocal singing in a rap-like manner. I love these text prompts from these Google engineers. God bless them, right? Okay, there's a... The beat is com comprised of a piano playing the chords of the tune with an electronic drum backing. The atmosphere of the piece is playful and energetic. This piece could be used in the soundtrack of a high school drama, movie slash TV show. It could also be played at birthday parties or beach parties. That's the key thing, friends. That is the key. What it just said. Did you catch that? It could be used in the soundtrack of a, of a TV or movie. TV show or movie, or it could be played at birth, uh, birthday parties or beach parties. And here is that hip-hop and reggae extruded musical product. Okay, so once again, you hear the vocals. They're not actually vocals. Uh, they don't mean anything. That's, it's not actually human beings uh, involved. No one wrote the lyrics. It's just sounds. And uh, I see on the, on the playlist, it's a, good, it's a good point. Commenter Franco Twinkie says, music that's like a Play-Doh fun factory? Yes, that's exactly what it is. And if you've been listening the last few weeks, you'll remember that I had a similar uh, bit, bit of a conversation with Sarah Lambden, who wrote a book called Data Cartels about Elsevier and Westlaw, these companies that take giant, giant databases, sets of databases that are they're based on the surveillance data on all of us, and then they munge them together, and then they just... They make this extruded, what they call knowledge, uh, but is often inaccurate, and it's just junk. It's crap and they charge for it. It's exactly the same business model. Um, it's based on surveilling all of us to within an inch of our lives in order to put everything into one giant bucket so that they can do the Play-Doh fun factory thing. Have you ever played with one of those? You just put the Play-Doh in and you squish. Like that. And out comes the, you know, extruded Play-Doh. I don't mean to make... Uh, Plato sound bad, but uh, gosh, it's the best analogy I can think of to what the tech companies are doing right now with all of our data and the past work that human beings have put out into the world, posting with best intentions on the internet to share with others, not thinking that their best work, their inspired work, would be brought into a, a Plato fun factory run by the, the, the richest and most corrupt companies in technology in order to make this extruded musical product that is, that is seriously offensive, offensive to anyone who has any musical taste. But, but the, point, the point that I wanted to drive at with that Google description is they're already setting it up as a business model. They're saying, here's something that you could use in a, in a, in a, in a TV show or a musical. Here's something you could, you could play at a beach party or at a birthday party. What they're saying is, Look, we understand this is not great music. In fact, look, can we just speak frankly here? We know it's crap. We, we, we know completely this is crap. But if we can charge you just a little bit less than what it would cost you to get actual human-made music, don't you think that'll be good enough? I mean, crap at a low price versus paying a high price for actual humans to do something, especially when we, Google, have put all musicians out of business and they're, they're no more actors or performers or writers or thinkers or anything. And it's all just us. It's all Google and Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and Spotify and all, all that the media ecosystem supports at that point is AI-generated crap, just rivers, just rivers of crap sending out to you and there are no humans that are doing any creative work that you can 
possibly think to hire anymore. Just for sure, sure, there's some specialists. I mean, when the CEO of Google, one of his kids has a birthday party, my goodness, we're not going to be using the AI uh, crap, you know, for their uh, birthday party. Come on. We're not savages here. We're going to go get uh, one of one of the superstars. We're going to pay them a million dollars and play the birthday party. Yeah, sure, they're human beings who play music still, but they're few and far between. And gosh, they're so expensive these days. Why don't you just sit back, relax, and just pay the $10 a month and listen to the crap that we have created for you. That's the AI generated future friends. And I have one more comment I want to share with you. A very smart person came on this radio station a few days ago and had something to say about our AI generated future. And some of you who are FMU fans will know who this is. I'm just going to play this quick clip for you right here. Next Monday on Tectonic, Tectonic, Mark Hurst will discuss our AI-generated future. AI engines like ChatGPT, Dolly, and MidJourney promise to generate text, images, and music at the click of the button. Mark Hurst has some sample output to share and some opinions. Musicians, AI ain't going to replace you anytime soon. <laughs> AI got no soul. AI make bad music. AI don't even get music. Music is a soul production. That's one man's optimistic outlook. <laughs> and I'm probably wrong. So I'm going to go have me cry. And that was Scott Williams, of course, who's on every Thursday from 3 to 6 p.m. here on WFMU. Friend of mine and a long, long time WFMU DJ telling the truth about our AI-generated future. Music is based on soul. And that's the thing that these AI generators don't have. And I would even say, based on the activities, the outcomes that these companies are having in the world, that's the thing that the tech industry, the big tech industry does not have either. They can never, they can never match what human beings with soul, performers, thinkers, writers, poets, composers, editors, whoever, AI can never match what human beings can do when they put soul into it because AIs have no soul. And in a way, that's, that's a hopeful thought to end on, I hope, because in the AI-generated future, we're still going to be here, friends. And thank goodness we have WFMU and we have each other. We're going to keep, we are going to keep going here at WFMU. And the, and the artists uh, that the, the DJs play and the authors who I bring onto the show they're going to keep doing the work. There are going to be people who are going to be resisting the automated junk that these big tech companies want to shove down everybody's throats. We are going to be resisting them. We are going to continue to resist. And there will be a future for people who want to do good work. That's the message I came to give to you this evening, friends. It's hope, but it's going to take some work for us to continue resisting these companies. And you have been listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, I want you to resist. I want you to avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. And to go out, and I want you to stay tuned because the great Dave Mandel is here. And we're going to be listening to It's Complicated, his prog rock show. But in the meantime, I just want to remind you what the future is going to be like if we don't resist these big tech companies. This is, good, is what it's going to sound like. It's going to sound like nothing 
forever. Have a great week, everybody. So Yvonne, I heard you got a new job. Yeah, I'm an assistant at a big advertising firm. That's great. You'll be able to come up with some clever campaigns. I wonder if there are any perks. Just the satisfaction of coming up with something that could potentially make billions. Yeah, right. Actually, I do get free office snacks, can you believe it? No way. What kind? <laughs> Sandwich cookies. Sure enough. Not just any sandwich cookies either, fancy ones with raspberry filling. Ooh, sweet. I'm looking forward to making this job my own. So I heard that the museum down the street is closing. What a shame. Yeah, it's a real drag. I was hoping to take my niece there sometime soon. What a bummer. You know, I think I read somewhere that the museum is being replaced by a dance studio. I'm sure the neighborhood kids will be happy about that. Yeah, no more museum, but at least we'll have a place for them to get their groove on. <laughs> Maybe we should start a dance class ourselves. I can see it now, Larry and Fred's hilarious dance studio. Come for the awkward moves, stay for the laughter. You know, that's not a bad idea. We could definitely make it work. Of course, the biggest challenge will be getting people to show up in the first place. Hey everybody, welcome to the club. So I was walking down the street the other day and I saw this sign that said no running allowed. So I thought to myself, what if they don't know how to walk? <laughs> then I went to the store to grab some cigarettes and the store clerk asked me if I was 18. And I said, no, but do you have any books that teach how to age quickly? Anyway, so I'm walking down the street and I see this baby in a stroller. And it's just like looking around at all the passers-by with these big eyes. Yes, indeed. It's Monday evening at 7 p.m. That means it's time for another episode of It's Complicated. I'm Dave Mandel, your host. Thanks for joining me this evening. And, okay, today I've been thinking that I would love to play some Deep Purple. Now, early Deep Purple is... Uh, is tricky. I'm a big fan. I basically look for any excuse to play early Deep Purple on the show, but we've got to stick with the theme here. Rules are rules. So I wanted to play a track from um, Deep Purple in Rock, they, which, is, which is a great album, an old favorite of mine, and it's, it sort of straddles. It's mostly you know, what would have been called at the time a hard rock album, but there are sort of proggy elements Richie Blackmore playing his sort of pseudo classical things and and whatnot, but I thought uh, it would be it would be crazy it would be 
just nuts not to play the obvious thing by Deep Purple, which is an album they put out, uh, God, I don't remember, 1970, I think, is the year. And it was, I mean, it was, it was a grandiose, you know, the most grandiose possible thing that a, a band like Deep Purple could do, which was, of course, uh, write a concerto and perform it live with an orchestra, with literally the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, I believe. And it was an album called uh, Concerto. I think the, the album is called Concerto for Group and Orchestra, Deep Purple, with the... Uh, with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Malcolm Arnold. I'm cheating. I'm looking at the cover because I would never remember all those details. Anyway, they put this out in 1970, and this was a very proggy maneuver. Actually, pretty early, 1970, for this. But, you know, it was um, Deep Purple having, uh, what, air, you know, if trying, to get, <laughs> trying to get above their station, you know, Deep Purple uh, assuming airs and... and um, I believe John Lord, the the organist, keyboard player in Deep Purple, composed all this stuff. Composed this sort of classical rock hybrid, and they performed it live with this with this orchestra. So that just seems like that's what I've got to play right on this show. So we're going to hear uh, the second movement. What is this? We're going to hear um, the second movement of the piece, basically from the LP. So this is Deep Purple live with the. Um, what, what did I say? The Royal Philharmonic Orchestra from the LP uh, Concerto for Group and Orchestra. And here we go, Deep Purple. 